0: Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston.
1: The title of the message today is Staying True to God in Times of Trouble. Yes. Staying True to God in Times of Trouble from First Peter Chapter 3:13 through 17. On January the 23rd, 1999, an American missionary Graham Staines and his two sons, Philip, age 11, and Timothy, age 6, were murdered by a large mob of militant Hindus in India. They had gone to a Christian camp in the jungle where Graham Staines was ministering. At midnight, the mob attacked, setting to the jeep in which Graham and his sons were sleeping. They were burned alive. When the fire finally cooled, they found the charred body of Graham Staines with his arms around the bodies of his two sons. The response of his wife, Gladys, and Esther, his daughter, was on the front page of every newspaper in India. Gladys said, I have only one message for the people of India. I am not bitter, neither am I angry. But I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. Many people were surprised when Gladys Staines decided to stay in India. She explained her decision this way. My husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and to continue to serve the needy. When asked how she felt about the murder of her dad, Esther, as a 13-year-old, said, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. Mrs. Staines and her daughter stayed true to God in their time of trouble. The question could be asked, are you prepared to suffer for Christ? For most of us, the answer is no, but for most of the Christians in the world, the answer is yes. Christianity was born in a world of totalitarianism. It was not strange to be persecuted. For the first 300 years of the Church, Christians had no legal protection in the Roman Empire. To be a follower of Jesus Christ meant risking everything. Why me, Lord? Why am I going through this? Have you ever thought, whispered, or screamed that question? Have you ever thought that God was against you personally? At one time or another, every one of us uh, does, even people in the Bible, Job raised a question himself. We have been in the letter of First Peter now for about six or seven weeks. Peter has been giving instructions to the hurting believers to which he was writing about living in a hostile world. He wants them to keep the right perspective about the troubles they were facing. What is the perspective that Peter is presenting to them? I want to deal with this in the form of four questions. 1. What should be the state of my mind? 1 Peter chapter 3:13 and 14 says, "Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Peter begins by presenting us with two possibilities for Christians living in a hostile world. First, there is the possibility that we won't suffer at all. He asks the question, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? The answer normally is no one. If you are truly eager to do good In the sight of God and man You should have nothing to fear And most of the time For most of us That's how life works out When we play by the rules We should live in safety and security But that does not always happen That leads Peter to The second possibility But even if you Suffer for Doing what is right, God will reward you for it, so don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Doing right does not guarantee a trouble-free life. People may hurt you, they may intimidate you, but they cannot tear you away from God who has promised to reward you or to bless you. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, had this to say about a similar situation. Paul says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Paul reminds us not to be anxiety-filled, but to turn everything over to God in prayer and allow the peace of God to rule our troubled hearts and minds. Listen to him writing to the Philippian Christians in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So don't let your circumstances intimidate you, for you have the power of God on your side. He is an ever-faithful God You can count on his promise never to leave nor forsake you. But the second question is, what should be the attitude of my heart? 1 Peter 3 verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. We need to remember that we are the object of God's blessing when we are going through difficult times. When we have trouble or tendency is to feel unhappy, unfairly treated, or that God has pulled his protection away and we are forgotten. But remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 10 and 11. Where Jesus says, happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Happy are you when people insult you and persecute you and tell all kinds of evil lies against you because they are my disciples or my followers. The word happy is also translated blessed. Say, so you are blessed when you are facing trouble of one kind or another. So keep that in mind. Let it be settled in your heart. In verse 15a, Peter says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. He said whenever we are facing trouble of any kind, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is Lord and that he is in control of our lives. We must lift him up and worship him as Lord when we are in trouble. And then Peter goes on to quote Isaiah chapter 8, 12 and 13. Do not be afraid that some plan conceived behind closed doors will be the end of you. Do not fear anything except the Lord Almighty. He alone is a holy one. If you fear him, you need fear nothing. By quoting this passage of scripture, Peter is telling his readers and us to turn over our worries, or fears, or doubts, and our cares to the Lord who cares for us. He will fortify our hearts with confidence in his power and sovereignty. Peter is saying, Don't be afraid when you feel overwhelmed by circumstances over which you have no control. God is with you always. Give up your fear, give up your worry, and give up your habit of being intimidated. The real issue is the lordship of fear versus the lordship of Christ. Those who make Christ Lord need not fear what mean and wicked people might do to them. As the example of Graham Staines shows, this does not exempt us from the worst kind of suffering. We may suffer and our children may suffer with us as did our slave ancestors. But if we trust in Christ as Lord, we can rest well at night, knowing that nothing can touch us that does not first pass through God's loving and suffering hands. This principle offers the only possible explanation for the long line of martyrs. And suffering believers during 400 years of slavery, racial discrimination, and systematic brutalization, people who loved Jesus more than their own lives. In light of eternity, could anything in this world matter more than Jesus Christ? Since the world is passing away, nothing we do or say, nothing we achieve, nothing we own, no fortune we amass, no empire we may build, no glittering list of friends, none of it matters at all compared to our Lord Jesus Christ. Only Christ matters. We'll never be ready for suffering until we lift Christ up and set him Apart as Lord of all and Lord of our lives. But the third question is: what should be the focus of my speech? 1 Peter 3:15. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this. With gentleness and respect, for centuries, this verse of Scripture, First Peter 3:15, has been the foundational verse for the study of the theological discipline called apologetics. That is, the intellectual defense of Christianity. Defending the faith has always been a matter of defending the resurrection of Jesus Christ or the existence of God or the verification of Christianity uh, through fulfilled prophecy. Now, I happen to have a master's degree in apologetics from Westminster Theological Seminary and taught the subject at Gordon Condon Seminary for a number of years. There's always a need for an intellectual defense offer faith when you are uh, facing non-Christian philosophers, people who are saying there is no God. But in 1 Peter 3.15, Peter is not saying we should be ready to defend our faith with all kinds of intellectual arguments. Peter is saying something like this, be ready to talk about how you can have hope when your world is crumbling. Be ready to talk about how you can have hope when the economy is in shambles and government is divided about the solution. Be ready to talk about how you can have hope in the midst of a pandemic. Be ready to talk about hope when you, your health is failing or you have the diagn- diagnosis of cancer. Be ready to talk about how you can still have hope when it looks like nothing is going right in your life. It's when Christians face trials, when we face difficulties, when we face the possibility of death, we face it different from the world. At least I hope so for most people. We have hope. We do not fear. Because God gives us the ability to to believe in those moments when Ordinarily, we would be scared. Therefore, people will surely question us regarding our hope. People are anxious. People all around us are full of stress and anxiety. The greatest fear of people is death and what happens after death. People are afraid of death. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. In April 1988, NBC News carried a story of a bunch of men getting ready for skydiving. A journalist joined the group of skydivers to film them. The flight took off. The journalist was busy capturing every moment uh, on camera. Everyone put on their diving vest and parachute, and it was time to dive. As the team jumped, the journalist also jumped with them. He was floating in the air and capturing videos and pictures. And when the time came to open the parachute, the journalist realized he had forgotten to put on his parachute in the midst of filming. He crash-landed to his death. The journalist's film showed his expression moments before his death. He was screaming and loudly wailing, cursing and calling out to others and God in desperation. So that is the way the world often sees death. People will say, hey, I'm enjoying life and making merry, so why should I be concerned about dying? But in reality, as people inch closer to death, they are afraid of dying. As Christians, we should be ready, willing, and able to explain what we believe to someone else. And note that Peter emphasizes not only what we say, but how we say it. We must be gentle and treat people with respect. Don't confuse arguing with answering treat people with gentleness and respect, and they are likely to listen to what we have to say. On a practical level, this means listening to people, paying attention to them, looking at them while we talk to them, remembering names and letting them tell us about their life's journey and what their hopes and aspirations are. It also means that we don't try to cram everything we know into one conversation. That's right. but number four, what should be the state of my conscience? 1 Peter 3.16 Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. This means living such a noble life that if people criticize us for the way we live, they have to tell a lie to do it. This touches some very down-to-earth issues, like keeping your word, speaking the truth, practicing the golden rule, refusing to spread gossip, doing good work on the job, obeying the law, Showing compassion to the hurting, and sharing with those in need. You see, there are many malicious people in the world who will spitefully use and abuse us. Some people seem to hate anyone who isn't as mean as they are. You see, you probably know a few people like that, and you may live with such a person. We can't always avoid being around vindictive people who go out of their way to hurt us. But we can live such good lives that they have to lie about us in order to attack us. So don't give anyone a reason to slander Christ because of the way we live. In verse 17, Peter says, Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. It may be God's will that we should suffer for doing right. Jesus suffered at the hands of evil men. The same thing happens to his followers in many parts of the world today. Peter says this is better than to suffer because we have done wrong. So how does all of this comfort us? The answer is not hard to find. We may die for our faith, but that's okay. That's all the devil can do to us. He has no other ammunition to use against us. He did all he could to Graham Staines and his sons. Death is Satan's final blow, but it's not the end. Listen, Christians, can you hear the sound of laughter from the other side of the grave? They are singing over there, singing praise to Jesus who triumphed over death and the grave. Will we be persecuted? Perhaps. Will some of us suffer for our faith? Perhaps. Could we lose everything we have? It's happening elsewhere. Can our enemies kill us? Yes, some have already died. What happens then? They may kill us, but that's all they can do. They cannot touch our soul. The most blessed and happy person is the one who has decided to follow Jesus. Whether we live or die, God has promised never to leave nor forsake us. Even in suffering, we can have hope, the hope of eternal life to spend eternity in the presence of Jesus and we have seen it in the, in the testimonies of the martyrs down through the, down through the centuries as Christians our hope does not merely mean that we hope so nor does it mean that we think so it means that we know so and we know so because God said so In having this hope, we know that God is in control. We know that his word is true. We know that we are more than conquerors. We know that victory will be ours, and we know that eternal life will be ours to enjoy. This God-given hope has given us reason to remain faithful to him. It has given us support in times of difficulty and given us purpose and direction in life, and has been our mainstay throughout the storms of life. This heavenly hope has given us motivation to deal with our problems, inspiration to hold on to the faith, confidence to face the future, and assurance that all will end well. This blessed hope has provided us with strength to carry our burdens, peace to calm our minds, encouragement to fight our battles, help to handle our hardships, and blessings to enrich our soul. This glorious hope will sustain us through the daily grind, through the long, dark night, through the wearisome struggle, through The hour of suffering, through the depths of sorrow, through the death of a loved one, through the final hours of her life. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand on Christ. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 10 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org and tune in every Saturday morning at 1030 for another inspiring message of hope and faith.